1: And everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: Yeah! Thank you, Hakeem, and welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast, CBS Sports HQ edition, NFL Draft edition. Uh, So, so privileged to be joined here by... Barton Simmons, Tom Fernelli, that's right, the familiar faces from CBS Sports HQ, the familiar voices that you've come to know and love on the Cover 3 podcast. A reminder before we get started, you couldn't always subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast. You can go and you can leave us a question for the mailbag by leaving us a five-star review and... We are still in tell-a-friend season, so we're asking all of our loyal listeners and now the viewers here on CBS Sports HQ, if you like what you see, if you like what you hear, go ahead and tell one friend. And, and gentlemen, we are going to begin the conversation with looking at these quarterbacks, So we're going to begin the conversation right at the top with Joe Burrow. And so Barton Simmons, we were sitting next to each other. It was late night in Austin, Texas. It was week two. Uh, LSU had just done nearly 600 yards of offensive damage to Texas's defense, and Joe Burrow said that they could have done more. And you said, you know, there might be good options for the Heisman Trophy. You know, that, that Joe Burrow guy, he might be well on his way to do it. So now that we look at him taking that next step, going number one overall to Cincinnati, you know, where do you gauge your expectations in terms of instant impact? Like, is Joe Burrow going to hit the ground running? Or, like his college career, is this going to be something where it might take a couple seasons for him to get his legs under him?
2: First of all, shout out to Mr. Fernelli over there. I I see your Beavers shirt on. I see that Oregon (laughs) State rocking the colors. I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yes. So, look, I I think it's so funny when we think about Joe Burrow to imagine that one year ago, Joe Burrow was perceived as a sixth or seventh round pick. Like, had he left last year, he was a sixth or seventh round pick. And I think – the disconnect between that and what we saw on the field this year is really the only reason anyone would ever have any doubt that he is a no-doubt, right-out-of-the-gate elite, elite player. I mean, that was one of the best quarterback seasons in the college football that we've ever seen. And so, look, I, I think I'm going to trust that. And I go back to, to when we sat there and, and watched them in Texas Stadium, and, you know, I remember talking to you afterwards, Chip. It was like, man, we're kind of scratching our heads. And I was like, you know what, like, that was not easy throws. Those were tight windows. (laughs) Those were big shots being taken as he was releasing the football. That was kind of an unbelievable performance. And then fast forward the rest of the year, and it was that every single week. So, look, I'm not going to be the one – To doubt him, I think that Joe Burrow
1: is the real deal. What do you think, Tom? A note to NFL teams, it's amazing what can happen if you put the right weapons and offense around your quarterback instead of trying to pound them into what you do. Because like you said, Barton, this time last year, Joe Burrow was a fifth, sixth round pick. Physically, not a whole lot changed for Burrow between last year and this year. What changed was he was put in an offense and he was put in a position to succeed and he took advantage of it and he balled out and he earned himself the number one pick in the draft. And it's going to be interesting for me to see how he goes to the NFL going forward because he's one of the two quarterbacks in this class who I feel like have a very good shot of being quality NFL players. But I wonder, with the current landscape of everything going on with the coronavirus and what could possibly happen this summer, you know, with NFL camps maybe getting pushed back, it's probably going to be more difficult this year for a rookie quarterback to acclimate to the NFL than we've ever seen before. But I do think that Burrow, given how quickly he was able to adopt to a new offense at LSU over one offseason, is well-equipped and prepared for that kind of transition. So I still think that he's going to be Cincinnati's starter to begin the 2020 season.
0: All right, Tom, and you also have done a lot of mock drafts. You know, you turn, you've turn, you been turning them in for months now and, and probably already putting together your 2021 big board. So you're going to have a better feel for team needs and team fit here. I'll, I'll lean on you. Does is, is Cincinnati have the pieces right now to be able to put an offense around Joe Burrow to be able to let that Bengals offense be successful?
1: I, I do think that if you look at the skill positions for Cincinnati, if you look, you know, A.J. Green was hurt last year, missed the entire season. But when he's healthy, he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. The problem for A.J. Green, of course, has always been he's had a difficult time staying healthy. But you look at the other Tyler Boyd, Auden Tate, some other guys, receivers on that offense. you got Joe Mixon at running back. You've still got Giovanni Bernard. There are plenty of skill players around him that if they put that kind of offense in and let him air it out a bit more and just let him take advantage of his natural talents— I do think there's enough around him. Now, I still think that they're going to need to address that offensive line a bit more going forward, but I think you've got the nice core and a nice set of stable receivers around there for him to experience success early. And I think that when you just look at Joe and what he does and the way he commands a huddle and an offense as it is, I think he's going to improve that team right away.
2: Hey, do you right. guys remember when it was the there's the playoffs? I, I don't know. Who did, who did they play Oklahoma? I don't know what bowl that was, but they have all these pre-bowl festivities and Joe Burrow was in there. They are playing gotcha or something in a basketball gym, and, and Joe Burrow was just absolutely knocking down shot after shot, mid-range, three-pointer, mid-range, three-pointer, and, and it came down to like Joe Burrow had to have this perfect performance for them to win this competition against Oklahoma in this silly basketball shoot-off, and he hit everything, and then it came down to the wire, and he hit the last shot. I'm putting that In my war room, if I'm drafted and I'm the Bengals, and look, because all the traits and all that stuff we were talking about, Tom, like you're right. I think that, that ice cold blood in his veins is the reason why Joe Burrow is the real deal for the Bengals.
0: Yeah, Ed Odron pointing out uh, going into last season, he told us Joe Burrow was about to have a tremendous season, said that Joe Burrow had led all the offseason workouts. Yeah, that leadership stuff, uh, I'm right there with you. Nothing but check marks. All right. The next two quarterbacks that were drafted are going to be linked together for the first five years of their NFL careers. You've got Tua Tagovailoa to the Miami Dolphins at number five. You've got Justin Herbert to the Rams, or excuse me, to the Chargers uh, right there at number six. We know that Tua's got um, his health concerns We know that Justin Herbert maybe fell short, or did fall short of Tua's production, did fall short of Tua's consistency, though the physical traits and his health gave him an argument perhaps to even be drafted ahead of Tua. Tom, do you think that these two, are are we gonna continue to hold them five and six side by side? Who ends up jumping out uh, early in their career? And who do you think ends up getting the last laugh maybe five, 10 years down the road?
1: Well, I think Tua is much better equipped to be the successful NFL quarterback just from a talent perspective. I think if you look at him, the only real red flag that you have are the health concerns. You know, he had the hip injury, he's had ankle injuries, he's had a concussion, he's been banged up throughout his career. But when you look at him from just a physical nature and a talent standpoint, he's not perfect. There is no such a thing as a perfect quarterback, but. He's pretty close to perfect. There's some things you need to refine, but just the ceiling that he has, if he's able to stay on the field, is remarkable. I think he has the highest ceiling of any quarterback in this class. And although Joe Burrow was the safer, smarter pick at number one, I think Tua could easily end up being the best quarterback that gets drafted in this class and goes on to have a fantastic NFL career. So when I look at him and I look at Justin Herbert, there's a lot to love about Herbert from a physical standpoint, from a projection standpoint, point from his arm from his size and what you think he can be but he didn't really show us during his years at Oregon where he's played in plenty of games we have a very large sample size of Justin Herbert you see he played well in the Rose Bowl but at a lot of times in big games in big moments he kind of turtled and it's going to be interesting to see if he's able to overcome that and grow in the NFL because you know the Chargers they did invest a lot in him with that number six overall pick so when you make that pick for a quarterback he needs to be the guy and frankly i like justin herbert but i don't know if he's the guy like a joe burrow or a tua a tang of yeah
2: uh look we're, we're sort of reaching a new audience perhaps right here on the hq platform but the cover three <laughs> loyalists they know how we feel or they know how i feel i would hope about justin herbert talented player he's got a big arm he's fast he's big all those things are great, and and they are encouraging if you're going to try to mold him into the quarterback of the future. But I mean, one time for me, Justin, just one time, I need you to be the best player <laughs> on the field. I need you to put a team on your back and look like a dude out there. And it just it didn't happen enough. Uh, you know what? If I'm wrong on this, I'm wrong um, because this isn't some guy coming from Wyoming who I didn't see enough of. Like I've seen Justin Herbert play a lot, and in the big moments and big games. Uh, I I just don't see enough to make me confident. Look, I'm not saying he's not a good quarterback, but again, I've said this before. If I've got to gamble on something, I'm going to gamble on the health and not on the player. I think I know what Tua is as a player. I may not know what his health looks like, but I know what he is as a player. And I think as a player, I I think he's clearly the guy uh, over Justin Herbert.
0: So you mentioned the Mountain West because Loyal listeners know that we haven't been all the way in on, on the Jordan Love fanfare and on the Jordan Love mania. We understand that Jordan Love has a lot of gifts and he had a great 2018 And then things took a little bit of a dip in 2019. He had a lot of YOLO passes. He blew a lot of locks and a lot of against the spread covers, throwing some kind of back-breaking interception, maybe late in the game. But we did see the Green Bay Packers not only uh, go and draft him, but trade up to do so Like, I found myself, Barton, almost trying to talk myself into Jordan Love, wondering if I didn't give Jordan Love a fair shake, wondering if, you know, the negativity that I was sort of digging myself into as a little bit of a contrarian opinion before the draft, Maybe if that's not given him chances to be able to redeem himself when he does see the field. Now, of course, with Green Bay, you've got the big Aaron Rodgers, when will he see the field question that's going to be lingering around. But uh, Barton, I wonder, is there a a Jordan Love future where you see him being able to take that next step and and capitalize on what was a, a brilliant in flashes kind of college career and become a successful pro?
2: Yeah, I, I think Jordan Love is the type of guy that is worth taking a back-end first-round gamble on, particularly when you're asking him to come in and be a backup and maybe get molded. Like, I'm I'm actually okay with this pick, and I, I'm even I, – I, look, I'm not – the, the most informed NFL guy in the world. I don't know what the Packers roster looks like top to bottom. I don't know whether there's some blatant need that they should have filled in the first round. And I understand I get all that. Aaron Rodgers is, is sort of a jerk. <laughs> like I get all this stuff. But in terms of just strictly finding a talented player to nestle in there beside your superstar, like this makes sense to me as a first-round pick. And I, we've even seen this before. Hey, we saw it with Aaron Rodgers. I know that's, that I mean that's sort of the obvious comparison, but I, we, we kind of saw it with Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, they, they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo. I believe that was a second round pick, and they let him sit behind Tom Brady and Tom Brady kept on balling out and Tom Brady sort of sent him out of town. That might happen here. Maybe they get some trade value out of him down the road. but I think it's worth a gamble because you remember when he was when Matt Wells was his head coach, he he was really good, and they switch up the system, and uh, and 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 you know things kind of go haywire. Um, but I I still think in terms of just the talent, this kid has an arm that's probably probably the best in the draft, maybe with the exception of Jacob Eason.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if you're looking at what Jordan Love can be, I. I'm not super high on him, but I agree with Barton that if you're going to take a chance on him, doing it at the end of the first round is a good place to do it. If for no other reason, then I think you get an extra year on his rookie contract when you take a quarterback in the first round. So that's one reason to do it. And I think that in a vacuum, this is a great scenario for him because he's not a finished product. He's not somebody who I would think that can just step onto the NFL field as a rookie and play well and excel. I think he needed to be in a situation where where he gets time to be molded and groomed. What makes no sense is that it's the Packers doing it because they don't have a need for him. They've got Aaron Rodgers signed for a few more years still. They can't just cut Rodgers. He's got huge cap hits. So Jordan Love is going to a place where it's not just going to be he's being groomed. He's going to have no choice because they're not going to get rid of Rodgers. They can't get rid of Rodgers for him. So he's going to be stuck on the bench for a few years, which I think is good for his development long term. But it's questionable as to whether he's actually going to... There's a part of me that wonders if his progress will be kind of you know, capped a little bit simply because you can only get so good on the bench watching. You have to get playing time, and he's not going to get that playing time with the Packers barring an Aaron Rodgers injury. Now, if that's Aaron Rodgers insurance, okay, but I do think the Packers had plenty of other more pressing needs. This is a team that reached the NFC Championship, and with their first-round pick, they drafted a guy who won't be of any use to them in 2020
0: couple of Georgia boys. Uh, you mentioned the big arm, Jacob Eason, who, of course, went on to Washington. And uh, then we had Jake Fromm, who just continued to slip and fall. Well, so, like Tom, what did you make of Fromm falling after being one of the winningest quarterbacks in college football over the last couple of seasons? And do you believe in that big arm of Jacob Eason being able to capitalize uh, when he lands in the NFL and is surrounded by a bunch of other pros?
1: I think the lesson we should all take away from Jake Fromm is if you're a quarterback, don't go to the NFL Combine. You can't do anything but hurt your stock. Because if you look at Fromm in college, he beat out Jacob Eason for that Georgia job. It was Eason's job. Eason got hurt. Fromm took over. Eason never got it back. He had to transfer, but he went to the Combine. Eason's got a huge arm. James Morgan, a quarterback who at Florida International in a much weaker conference, never had a season nearly as good as Jake Fromm's worst season gets drafted ahead of Jake Fromm because at the combine, he had the big, strong arm. And when you look at Jake Fromm in a t-shirt and shorts throwing the football, that's not where he's going to impress you. And I don't think Jake Fromm is going to be a great NFL quarterback, but I think he's got a much better chance of being a solid NFL quarterback than either Eason or Morgan, two guys who went ahead of him. So I think when you talk about the fit for Eason in Indianapolis – I'm not high on him. I think all three of us agree. We've always joked about his 360 spins to the left out of the pocket. Anytime he (laughs) sent his pressure within 10 feet of him or 10 yards of him in the pocket, he's pulling that move out and getting out of there. But I do think that if you are Jacob Eason, a good person to study behind for a year or two is the guy the Colts signed in Phillip Rivers because there's a lot of similarities between the two of them as far as their mobility and their arm strength. So maybe that will play out well for him. But I look at Jake Fromm and I see a guy who at a minimum – is kind of like a Matt Barkley-ish type of player who is going to be maybe a low-end NFL starter or at least a very high-end backup for a decade, and those are valuable. I understand you don't want to use like a first or second-round pick on them, but when you get to those later rounds where guys like Morgan and Fromm went, I think using a mid- to late-round pick on Fromm is going to pay off a lot more than it did on James Morgan.
2: So a couple quick points. I think this is all borderline hilarious, but just think about this for one. Uh, James Morgan, Jake Fromm. Is there a college football program in the country where you think James Morgan would beat out Jake Fromm for the starting quarterback job? No. I don't think there is. I, I grant James Morgan is, is more talented from an arm talent perspective, but there's no way. Secondly, I think it's going to be kind of hilarious to envision Jacob Eason, who is Mr. Laid back, Mr. Chill, going in that room with <laughs> Philip Philip Rivers, who's just this. I didn't just think maniac. about that.
1: That's a great point. <laughs>
2: Just, a, I mean, that is a talk about a clash in styles there. But, hey, maybe that's going to be good for the bowl boy. And then finally, for me, like Jake Fromm, to me, you remember how all the, the hubbub made of uh, uh, Joe Burrow's hand size? Jake Fromm's mm-hmm. got smaller hands than Joe Burrow. He's been a, he's been a small hands guy for since high school. We measured the RML American Bowl, and, and there, there was a big fuss made about his hand size. Well, not a big deal as long as you're going to a place in a decent climate, decent environment. He's going to Buffalo He's going to Buffalo of all places where it's freezing cold, bad weather. Like this is a, like this is not the quarterback I envision for that Buffalo environment. So I'm interested to see whether small hands Jake Fromm is up for the task of winning in the cold weather in Buffalo.
1: Yeah, he's going to <laughs> Buffalo to back up a quarterback who's basically the exact physical opposite of him. It's an interesting <laughs> right. situation
0: wild wild stuff uh well we know more about the players that were drafted in the nfl draft than most nfl writers do which is why there's no one better than us to tell you about the players that were maybe taken a little too high the players that might be sleepers all the under the radar sleepers surprises and more all that coming up next here on the cover 3 podcast on cbs sports hq And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports HQ. I make sure that you, as always, are seeing this for the first time, that you go and subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast, leave us five-star, nice review, nice rating, mail-back question, and don't forget to tell a friend. As we continue our coverage of the NFL draft, going back, and, and the big takeaways that nobody else but us college football diehards can deliver to you It's time to take a look at some surprises and some sleepers. Uh, Let's start with the surprises. Tom, can I get, let's go, one offensive player uh, and one defensive player from the surprise portion of things in the NFL draft?
1: Sure. I'll I'll start on offense. A a thing that really caught me off guard was, A.J. Dillon going in the second round of the Packers at the back of the round. It's not that I don't like A.J. Dillon. I think, you know, at Boston College, we've been talking about him for the last few years. He's a big guy. He's a lot quicker than you think somebody of his size should be. He's got good athleticism. It's just... He didn't strike me as somebody who was going to be a second-round pick, and when he, I heard his name called, I was surprised, and it was further surprising to see where he went, considering Green Bay has a running back in Aaron Jones who's coming off a fantastic season, rushed for 16 touchdowns, was a good contributor in the receiving game, and that's something Green Bay uses in its offense, and it's something we really didn't see A.J. Dillon doing a whole lot of at Boston College. Which isn't to say he couldn't do it, it's just when you think of fits for Dillon, the Packers weren't a team that came up for me. On defense, the biggest surprise for me was Grant Delpit falling all the way to 44 in the second round of the Cleveland Browns. As a Bears fan at 43, I really, really, really wanted them to take Delpit. They didn't do it. It broke my heart and he went the next pick. But I understand that as a senior, Delpit, he was dealing with injuries, did not have his greatest season. But coming into the year, this was a guy that I think many people considered one of the best safeties, if not the best safety in all of college football. He had fantastic seasons as a freshman and sophomore, and he was still very good as a junior. He just didn't live up to his own hype coming into the season. And I was surprised to see how much it hurt him and some of the safeties that went ahead of him in this draft for him to fall that far. And I think that's going to be a steal for Cleveland going forward. Yeah,
0: Barton, you were early to the Grant Delpit train. I feel like the you know, did we talk ourselves out of it? Did the NFL teams talk themselves out of it? Was it all the injury? Was it the bad tape? I heard bad tackling as part of his scouting report going into it. What do you make about uh, one of Louisiana's own just you know, seemingly on paper doing everything that you would expect to be a top draft pick coming right out of DBU? What you, would what'd you make of his fall?
2: I appreciate the two of you for, for pulling me back on the train Right as I was about to bail, because I, I you know I was on it early. I loved Grant Delpin. And then I started to sort of have some, you know, oh God, he didn't look that great last year. And then the two of you and your wisdom reminded me, look, man, he was injured pretty much all year long. He was grinding through it, fighting through it, was on the best team in college football, and remember what he did in 2018. And you're right. Like what he did in 2018, I think has to be sort of your, your number one data point for how you view and evaluate Grant Delpit because healthy in his first full year as a starter he was I thought to me clearly the best defensive back in college football last year so yeah I, I go back to that and and I agree with Tom uh, now that you guys have talked me off the ledge and, and reminded me how much I loved him last year I'm with you this this dude is, is a steal in the middle of the second round
0: all right, Barton, what about your uh, your surprises, one offense, one defensive player?
2: So surprises. All right, so for surprise for offense, I'm going to go another LSU guy, Clyde Edwards-Elair. He's a first-round pick. Um, I- I'm going to – Rewind it back to the summer, last summer. Okay, right. It's it's the, the the heart of no content season, which now we know so well in our current environment. <laughs> but uh, we we would long for a, a summer of no content right now. But in the middle of that, you know, we're looking through storylines to, to take an eye on, to, to to sort of get an eye on. And I I did a video where I discussed LSU's run game and how the incoming freshman class, a couple five star guys or top 100 backs. We're going to be huge additions to LSU because LSU was 59th in the country in 2018 in rushing offense, the worst rushing offense they'd had since 2009. And I'm sitting there saying, look, for the first time in a while, there's no NFL running back on this roster. Nick Brissett was their leading rusher, rushed for 1,000 yards, goes undrafted last year. Clyde Edwards-Elair rushed for like 450 yards or 500 yards, something of that nature. And they just never could quite get it going offensively to, to think you you fast forward it. And this is a kid now that's going the first rounds. First of all, I'm thrilled for him that he was able to to, to sort of answer the bell and, and have the kind of season he had. Secondly, so exciting to see the offense he's going to in that Kansas city chiefs. I mean, he's such a perfect fit. And thirdly, I think this is another one. We talked about Joe Burrow last segment, about the year prior he was a sixth or seventh-round pick. If Joe Brady doesn't come to LSU and sort of ignite Clyde Edwards-Elair's skill sets, you can see what what the Saints have done with Alvin Kamara. It's exactly what LSU did with Clyde Edwards-Elair. And now all of a sudden that value – it was showcased, and hey, if, if he still would have made it to the league, otherwise he would have been undrafted, a late round pick, and he would have made a team, and he'd have been great. But now he's going to get what he is owed up front as a first round pick. So it was a surprise to go to see him go that high. But man, that dude absolutely earned it. So that that's my big my big first round uh, offensive surprise. Defensively, I went AJ Epinesa. This is another one. Like when you think about what he did on the field at Iowa, at defensive end, we're college guys. We watched it. I mean, he flashed almost every time you watched Iowa play. That dude was flashing. I, I'm convinced if AJ Epinesa doesn't go to the NFL Combine, if he doesn't run a 504.40, if if he, you know, the, the coronavirus precludes him from having his pro day, we just never get a time on him. I'm convinced he would have been a first-round draft pick because that's what the tape says. And so I I, I think that for him to drop to where he was uh, based, I think, really on just sort of the visual of him without a great combine, didn't really look the part like some of the other guys, I I think that that's going to be one that the teams will kick themselves about.
0: My offensive surprise is going to be Austin Jackson all the way up there at number 18. Uh, when we looked at the offensive linemen, I knew that going into it, I wasn't really strong about you know behind any of the one offensive linemen there. And can either of y'all make a good argument for Austin Jackson uh, as this player? With I know that we've got high upside, but man, you watching USC try to run the ball, watching USC's offensive line, like what about that? Has Austin Jackson as a top twenty pick in y'all's eyes? I, I, I don't
1: think say he's Austin 20 years Jackson old. could be a good right tackle, and you got to understand. Yeah. Miami took to a tag of low, who's a lefty quarterback, which makes the right tackle a lot more important Fair. going forward. So I think it might be a little bit of a reach, but I do think that it could make sense in the long run.
2: Yeah, I think he's 20 years old. I think he's just starting to scratch the surface. I think you're not picking him for the 2020 season. I think you're picking him for the next seven after that. And in that sense, I get it. And I see the upside. And the dude is like, a, a extremely high character kid that you can count on.
0: Okay. All right, high character kid. We like Stop to do that. No on Austin
1: Jackson Chip.
0: <laughs> All right, well let's let's turn it on over to sleepers. Uh Barton, you first. Offensive sleeper, defensive sleeper, you know, who's who are the players who been standing out that you just know you want to go and, and like Sink in your your stock buys because you you always want to buy them right now so that you can be able to cash it in in like three or four years when they're uh, multi year Pro Bowlers.
2: So how about KJ Hill? He got drafted in this was it the seventh round, and he is Ohio State's all time leading receiver in terms of receptions. Uh, yeah. I mean you just sort of saw this chorus of Ohio State coaches and players. As KJ Hill kept dropping in the draft all over Twitter, saying these people are crazy. You know, this kid has gone up against the best players in the country and put in work against them week in and week out. And that—that's—I I get that that's a biased perspective, but I do think when you're looking at KJ Hill's body of work, the, the skill set—he didn't run great, but at that slot position, everyone's looking for a guy that could just get open, that just knows how to get open. You can trust, you can count on. Uh, Everyone needs that guy in the NFL offense right now. It's all about creating space in the short areas. I think K.J. Hill has that. So I I, I think that's great value to be able to land him that late in the draft. I think this is, you know, whether he's a perennial all-pro guy, I'm not going that far, but I think he'll be a starter in the league for a long time that you can count on to make some plays for you. Uh, And then for defense, you guys could probably guess it. Like I could probably tee you guys up and ask you who you think my my player is going to be. And I think you guys could guess it. I'm not going to do that because it'll be awkward if you don't. But my guy <laughs> is Willie Gay. All right? Oh, Willie yeah. Willie Mississippi, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mississippi State. Mississippi State. If everyone's talking about the freak show that Isaiah Simmons was at the combine is, Willie Gay was just as athletic as him. He was. He was just as athletic as Isaiah Simmons. He's even more physical. He's more of a true linebacker. Uh, I know Isaiah Simmons has probably more versatility and could even be a safety. I get that, but we're just talking purely off the numbers. Willie Gay is every bit the athlete, which is crazy to say. And he didn't play much this year because of suspension. He, you know, the the he punched his quarterback before the bowl game. Not, not ideal, but look, if if there's one player that's going to punch the quarterback, I'll take the linebacker doing it. I, that I will allow it. <laughs> uh, I, I just think he is such a good athlete in this new age football of being a space player. I I think he's going to be a monster on the next level.
1: Note to self, punching your quarterback, not ideal. Don't do it. Uh, My my sleeper on offense is UCF receiver Gabriel Davis who went to Buffalo. I think he's going to fit in well in that offense because he's a very good deep vertical threat which matches with Josh Allen. And Buffalo has a couple of those guys but they haven't had any with the size of Gabriel so I think that's good. And my sleeper on defense is a guy at Michigan last year who had seven and a half sacks despite rarely ever seeing the field because they couldn't use him in run defense because he just wasn't big enough to hold up. But Josh Uche, I think this is a pass rusher specialist who at the NFL level is going to get more snaps and is going to be even more productive than we saw at college. So I think that's a name that people might not be too familiar with that they should keep an eye on going forward.
0: For my offensive sleeper, I'm glad that Tom didn't take it. I know he had his eyes on him going into it. Anthony McFarland, the running back from Maryland, Uh, I really, really like McFarland. He can also provide a little bit in the special team. So in terms of what kind of use you're going to be able to get out of him, that seems like a player that Pittsburgh's going to be able to take advantage of. And then, yeah, maybe someone who doesn't quite fit all your size specifications. He might not fit your mock draftable circle chart. But Oregon linebacker Troy Dye is a winner, man. That guy's got an awesome mentality. He plays with an edge. And the physicality that that Oregon front seven brought, that was the identity. I mean, we talked about Justin Herbert. I wish that Justin Herbert was the dude or the best player on the field. We saw Oregon's defense. We saw Oregon's offensive line. Guys like Penny Sewell and guys like Troy Dye were really the heartbeat of that team. So I think not only are you getting a player – who can play on special teams and Troy Dye, someone who can be a great addition to your linebacker room. I think you're getting someone else who's going to bring a good edge to that group. So uh, give me Troy Dye as my sleeper that I'm going to buy a little bit of stock in right now.
1: Well, Andy won't uh, punch up, your quarterback.
0: Yeah, well, not that we know. The Unless good he is needs he? it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right, coming up on the other side, we're going to take the school perspective of this. We had some records set. We had some records tied. What does it mean and what does it mean moving forward for some of the top programs in all of college football and including who had a lot of players drafted that made us go, huh, why didn't they win more? Next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. back here on the cover three podcast on cbs sports hq looking back at the 2020 nfl draft over the previous weekend A record-setting day, a record-setting weekend. Everything seemed to go LSU's way here. A total of 14 NFL draft picks for the Tigers. And, you know, as we look at what LSU was able to do last season, putting together one of the most impressive uh, college football seasons of all time, I wonder, and Barton, I'll, I'll start here with you, Should we have seen this coming? Like, should we have known, based on the way that LSU was recruiting, based on the strides that LSU had made, at least during the 2018 season, that they could have taken that jump to finally chase down an Alabama and reclaim an SEC championship? Because among these lists of players, we do have a lot of players that were very, very highly rated in high school. I mean, is this this a unique thing for LSU? Or, Or should we expect them to be, maybe not 14 players drafted, but at least continue to be one of the top programs in the NFL draft.
2: I don't know whether I should be impressed or whether it shouldn't even count that they had a long snapper included in that list. Like it's pretty remarkable. <laughs> right. You're getting your long snapper drafted. You're getting your backup tight end drafted. That's the, that's, that's the reward for a national title, I guess. But, I mean, Chip, to, to answer your question, no – don't blame yourself. We can't blame ourselves for not seeing this coming because LSU has had this roster for years and every year we're talking about goodness. Man, there's only one team that can line up with Alabama, it's LSU. They just don't have the they don't have the scheme, they don't have the coaching to match up. And for whatever reason, all the pieces came together this year from a coaching standpoint. These are the same players that we've been seeing at LSU for for years. I really believe that. And that's not to take anything away from these players because I do think there's something very special about this team as it relates to just sort of the, the attitude and and the the competitiveness and, and the culture that was built in that locker room. That that all is all national championship caliber, but the talent's always been national championship caliber, at least it has for a really long time. And and when you sort of play to a national championship level, that all that talent gets really showcased in a way that is going to benefit them in the NFL draft. So, uh, I mean, it's 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 a credit to Ed Ogeron. Um, it's certainly a credit to all these players, but it, it's, it's been uh, sort of a long time coming in my eyes.
1: Yeah, you know, Barton, you talked about on the show during the season that this is an LSU team that could be considered maybe the greatest college football team of all time. And the draft kind of reflected that. Not just with, you know, 14 players being taken, but they're the first team in college history and draft history to have a quarterback, running back and receiver all go in the first round of the draft. And you mentioned, you know, their long snapper was taken, their backup tight end was taken. Every single LSU offensive player that was eligible for the draft this season was either drafted or signed immediately afterwards as an undrafted free agent. That's just the kind of talent this team had. And when you look back at it, it's no wonder they did what they did during the 2019 college football season. They were just too good for everybody. You take that talent, match it with the scheme, and LSU is what you get.
0: Okay, so we do have Alabama. And LSU and Alabama, combined with their players drafted, could field a football team that would probably go win the national championship. Uh, The Alabama Hall included four First rounders. And that is becoming so common. Four first rounders would be record setting for schools. Alabama has had four first rounders in three out of the last four years. Like, Tom, do we, is this Alabama train just going to continue forever? Is it possible that they're going to be able to be having three or four first round players coming into the NFL draft every single season? Or do you think that we might see things calm down a little bit uh, here in the next coming couple of seasons?
1: Well, nothing lasts forever, Chip. I do think that as long as Nick Saban is there, this is probably going to be the norm. And it's been the norm. Like you mentioned having four first rounders. That's incredibly impressive. and It's becoming old hat. But what even impresses me more than that stat, Alabama has had at least 10 players drafted in each of the last four drafts. That's every year. They're sending 10 guys to the NFL via the draft and then the refilling with 10 more guys who are capable of going to the draft the next year. It's no wonder this team keeps winning year after year. It's like they're talented or something.
2: What do you think, yeah, Martin? I, 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 well, I, I, you know, the only thing I would add there, I think it was interesting that when you look at Alabama's draft class here, they're all, I mean, you mentioned all those first-round picks. There, there's really no one that was drafted beyond the third round. And, I mean, certainly that's that's a good thing. Obviously, you want your players drafted as high as possible. But I, I also wonder if that's a little bit reflective of sort of how, like what this Alabama team looked like this year, which was, man, look at all that flash. Look at all those mm. explosive plays. Look at these elite players. But where is the old Alabama depth where they just come at you in waves, where their backups are getting drafted, where they've got some – nobody, 3-4 defensive end that just takes up space and then gets pulled off the board in the sixth round. Uh, that's sort of the one element that this Alabama class was missing to me. And, and I, I suspect that perhaps in this 2020 season, we might see a little bit more of that old Alabama where, yes, they've got some flash. they got Waddle and Devonte Smith, and, and they've got Najee Harris. And But you know what? They've also, I think this year perhaps, are going to start to backfill a little bit of those front seven bodies to where they've got the depth of talent, too, to where some sixth or seventh-round picks are going to come off the board they'll be Alabama guys as well.
0: Yeah, good point, Barton. Where's your Jonathan Allen? Where's your Deron Payne? Where are those meaty – your C.J. Mosley, the meaty interior guys? It was a little bit of an issue for Alabama's defense and certainly, I guess, missing from the draft class. All right, where any school, any program across the country, uh, Barton, you first – where, where do you want to turn a spotlight for better or for worse in terms of what the NFL Draft Hall said about that program or that class?
2: Okay, so I, I don't know what order we want to go on here, but I definitely want to hit on Michigan, all right? And so mm-hmm. th- there's another team I definitely want to hit on too. I hope one of you guys is going to mention them. But let's start with Michigan because everybody is, is all of a sudden talking about, hey, I thought you guys have been telling us that Michigan is not talented enough. I thought you guys were sitting here saying that there's a talent gap between Michigan and Ohio State. You, you're really looking like an idiot now, huh? Like 10 guys <laughs> drafted for Michigan, 10 guys drafted for Ohio State. Looks pretty, even to me, like let's look at the breakdown of where these Michigan guys were drafted. Two of them were drafted on the, on the first two days of the draft. The rest of them were drafted on day three, including five in the sixth round. That's great. That's, uh, that's that's exciting for those players. That, that speaks highly of the Michigan program in terms of the ability to, to produce NFL prospects. But very rarely are you winning national titles with a bunch of six-round draft picks. You're going to have really good teams with a bunch of six-round draft picks, but to win a national championship, to be in the college football playoffs, it's going to take more than a bunch of six-round draft picks. And by the way, that also doesn't let you off the hook, Michigan, for your recruiting when you consider... Of those ten, you've also got two guys. One was a walk on. Uh, one was a, a transfer from Central Michigan. So you still have a little bit of a disconnect when you're comparing them. And again, this is just when we're comparing it at the absolute upper echelon. Michigan's still better than 98 percent of the teams in the college football for the most part. But when you're comparing it against teams, you got to beat to be in that very top tier. This is still not enough.
1: Yeah, my biggest takeaway from Michigan is that you know you mentioned. They had all those players, but only two of them went in the first three rounds. But for me, going past that, you saw four of their offensive linemen were taken. Now, this is a team that overall, if you look at their adjusted line yards, they finished, you know, ranked middle of the pack. And in the rushing game, they averaged 3.96 yards per carry, which ranked 89th nationally. And when I look at that and I see four of those guys getting drafted, this tells me a couple of things. Either A, the NFL teams are horrible at evaluating offensive linemen, or maybe they're just throwing darts and hoping for the best. Or B... There was something wrong with your offensive scheme if you have four NFL-caliber offensive linemen and you still got production that middle of the road or bad from your offense. And we know that last year, Michigan implemented a new offense. They're trying to change things, and it didn't really kick into gear until late in the season. And hopefully, if you're a Michigan fan, we see that going into 2020 in the second year of this process start to bear more fruit so that way if you have a talented offensive line class like Michigan had, you could start getting more success from it because it's one thing when you see a lot of skill guys go off an offense that wasn't that great. But when an offense, nearly an entire offensive line gets drafted from an offense that didn't perform well, that sets off alarm bells for me.
0: So the Georgia Bulldogs are, they've got two first round offensive linemen. Uh, DeAndre Swift gets drafted. Jake Fromm gets drafted. end gets drafted. Just one defensive player drafted in this class but I think we got a lot more that are probably going to be coming in next year's class, more on that maybe a little bit later as we look at the 2021. But what uh, what do you all think Georgia's class says about the success that they did or didn't have on the field in 2019 and heading into it?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think you sort of alluded to it, Chip. First of all, this is the – every year since 2010 now, the streak continues, Georgia has had a pass catcher get drafted. All right, they're not throwing the ball around a whole lot. These guys aren't super productive, but hey, they're talented. They're getting drafted. Charlie Warner was the guy this year, okay? Also, let's look. They had three offensive linemen drafted. They had their quarterback drafted. They had their uh, their running back drafted. And yet, we, we look up, and Georgia was a, a kind of a middle-of-the-road rushing team when you look at the advanced metrics. Th- this, is, this is just a little bit frustrating to watch if you're a Georgia fan to see all these talented guys, including... Uh, two first round draft picks of your offensive tackle and you were not really dominant as a rushing team. Don't get me wrong, they were good as a rush team but when you compare them to the other teams that were totally dominant rushing the football, it really wasn't even up to, that, to par. And then, I think the, the flip side, if you want to look at the positive, all right, what was Georgia this year? They were totally dominant on the defensive side of the ball and they have one guy drafted from the defensive side of the ball and he's the Last pick of the, of the draft. Basically, I mean, you might as well have been undrafted. Like, you've got everybody back on that defensive side of the football. And so that's the encouraging part. The discouraging part is you just lost a, a handful of really good players on offense. Your offense was just okay. How good is this Todd Monk and new OC going to be? Because it's time for them to pick it up.
1: Yeah, that, that's, it's the same thing as Michigan. You look at all the talent that got drafted on that offense and compare it to how that offense performed on the field, and that's exactly it, Barton. Todd Munkin, save our dogs. Please, bring a real offense to Athens, and let's utilize the talent that they have on that roster.
0: Our beloved Bulldogs. Diehard listeners and subscribers know this is a Georgia Bulldogs podcast. Make sure that you can join that. Uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. But we've got more here coming on CBS Sports HQ. We turn the page and we look ahead to the 2021 NFL Draft. Uh, the big Trevor versus Justin Fields conversation. Players that we think are going to be rising up draft boards in the college football season and more next Back here on CBS Sports HQ, the Cover 3 podcast breaking down the NFL Draft as we look ahead to next year 365 days from now, we start with the odds to win the 2020 Heisman Trophy. According to William Hill, the first two names, they are far ahead of everyone else for a reason because they were two of the biggest stars in college football last year. They will be two of the biggest stars in college football this year. They play for national championship teams. They are quarterbacks, and they are going to be two of the top names announced in next year's NFL draft. We are talking about Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields, and we're talking about Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Now, Trevor Lawrence has the natty. Justin Fields does not. Uh, Trevor Lawrence also won in the head-to-head battle between these two quarterbacks. But as we look ahead to next season and next year's draft, the the two-part question, and I guess, Tom, go ahead and jump on this one first. Between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, who has the better season, and then who ends up getting drafted higher in the NFL draft?
1: I would think that there's a very good chance Justin Fields has the better season simply because if you want to condone it on stats, it's probably going to be even. But if it comes to Heisman, like we saw those Heisman odds at the top of the segment, I think Justin Fields has a better chance of winning the Heisman simply because at Ohio State in the Big Ten, he's going to be playing in bigger games and Trevor Lawrence is going to be in at Clemson against an ACC that really there's a huge gap between the Tigers and the rest of the ACC. So it's going to be hard for Trevor to find that quote-unquote Heisman moment. So I think that's similarly stat-wise, but if you look at the accolades, there's a good chance Fields gets it plus because you got to consider, too, the fatigue factor. This is Trevor Lawrence's third season as a starter, and we see it year after year after year with these top guys that we hype up and hype up. As soon as they play a game or have a moment where they aren't as amazing as we built them up to be, we kind of start to tear them down. Like, if we would have looked at last year at this time, to a tag of Tua low would have been the number one unquestioned NFL draft pick. And we wouldn't even mention Joe Burrow in the conversation, and we saw how that went. So if you were to ask me now, I think that Trevor Lawrence is the number one pick in the NFL draft next year because I look at him and I just see, like, a bigger, stronger arm Joe Montana just for his ability and his cool and his calm and his Ooh. poise in the pocket. And as we saw at the end of last year, he even added a bit of mobility to his game. So I think when you look at all that, he's probably going to be your number one choice all season long. But Justin Fields is a guy that you can dream on as well and has really played very well at Ohio State. So you can't really go wrong with either of them. I'm just looking forward to watching them both.
2: I agree, Tom. I agree. First of all, yes, I think Justin Fields probably has a better shot at winning the Heisman because he's gonna have more opportunities to make big plays and big games. I agree that Trevor Lawrence is probably gonna be the number one pick uh, because everyone is is so in love with Trevor Lawrence right now. But here's here's my contrarian argument. Here's like the, the one thing I would say is as we're looking at these players, everyone is evaluating them for next year's draft as as players right now. And making the the assumption, which is a, a reasonable assumption, that they'll be the same players relative to each other next spring. Now, now here's why I think that that might be a little bit premature, because Trevor Lawrence has been like so he started he started pretty much every year at Clemson. I know he had to earn the job as a freshman four or five games in, but he started every game at, at, at uh, Clemson since, uh, as a, as in high school. He started since his freshman year and played in state championship games every year. Uh, Something like 65 starts. Uh, It's a ridiculous number. Justin Fields started, I want to say, about 20 games in high school. He started, obviously, no games before this past season. So now he's up to about 34 starts. I just think if we consider that he's going to evolve and improve into year two under the offense, there's really no telling what he could be. So don't count the kid out. He is incredibly talented.
0: Well, and listen, he also could be picked apart. Too much time for us to think about everything that's going right and wrong when he's going to be carrying a lot of responsibility in the same way with Trevor Lawrence. But hey, we get to cover him. So we're the spoiled ones that get to (laughs) soak it in and talk about it here on the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, Don't forget, Subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast so that you can get all of this delivered right to your device for free 99 Uh, You go there, you leave us a a five-star review with a question. That gets thrown into the mailbag. We get some engagement going. You can follow him on Twitter, at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him, at Barton Simmons. You can follow me, at Chip underscore Patterson. Keep it locked right here, CBS Sports HQ.